0: How do I share my faith with others? Well, good morning. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today and hope you're enjoying this great summertime. Anybody? Man, I love it. Woo! Yeah, all right. It's supposed to snow in 10 days, but that's not happening today. So good, good, good stuff. Well, today we're concluding this series uh, on You Asked For It. And so I'm actually going to only read one verse of Scripture. That doesn't mean that the message is going to be short. It just means I'm going to read one verse of Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And um, as we're here, uh, there's phrases that you hear in church about about this. So uh, it's called witnessing Um, or uh, uh, evangelism, sharing your faith, they all kind of mean the the same thing. And um, and, and when you talk about this subject, what typically tends to happen is people that are introverted go, hey, that's not for me. And people that are extroverted will (laughs) tend to go, that's not for me either. Matter of fact, there was a study done in the church that only uh, 3% of people in the church actually feel like they've got a gift of evangelism a gift of sharing their faith, a gift of, that they feel comfortable with talking to someone who may be a total and complete stranger about Jesus Christ. And um, and so, you know, we all know people who they never meet a stranger. Like they, they just, they don't. And I mean, they can walk up to anybody, any place and engage in a, con- in a conversation. And those aren't just even necessarily just extroverts. Those are just people that, that's just who they are. Uh, and so like if you know Kevin Nash, Kevin Nash attends here at the Germantown campus. never I don't think he's ever met a stranger. Um, you know Ryan uh, Ryan Coggins mom, Laura Coggins is, is, is she's technically on a personality scale as a is an introvert. but yet Laura, as far as about sharing her faith, I don't think there's any she just tell anybody what she thought and how she feels, and and, and would share her faith in that way. Um, Adam Postgate, that's at the at the Appleton camp, is the same way. Just doesn't, you know. Uh, Kevin Miller's here today, and, and Kevin is is never met a stranger. Kevin will walk up and say anything to anybody, anytime. Matter of fact, one of my favorite stories is we were trying to get somewhere. And we were in an airport, it was in Minneapolis, and somebody had, the flight attendant had spilt like an entire bottle of red wine. So the pungent odor was just overtaking, we couldn't get onto the airplane. And I, I said to Kevin, I, I bet you $100 you can't get on that aircraft. If you can get on that aircraft for 100 bucks, like they're not boarding anybody, I'll give you 100 bucks. And if you can't, no big deal. And he's like, done. And he walks up and just does this whole thing with the gate agent. Hey, I have on a cleaning business and we specialize in and has this whole story. Like I would just be laughing. And she's like, sir, let me let me go. And he goes, I'm telling you, I think I can remedy it and help you with the situation and the whole deal. Just total confidence. <laughs> and the lady goes down the jetway, only to come back out and go, we, we had it remedied, but thank you so much, Mr. Miller. Uh, thank you so much, and we just appreciate you and your business, and and, and, and good luck to you on your on your, your carpet cleaning business that you have and all that. It was just like, Kevin. So there's just some people that can do that. I'm an extroverted personality, but I, I'm very much not, not someone that, like, if you sit next to me on an airplane, I'm not going to be rude. I'm just not going to try to win everybody in, in the seating section that I'm in to Christ, uh, or whatever, because it's just, it's one of those things where uh, we all have different, di- different deals, but, but I just think sometimes we think, man, that's just somebody else, it's not me. And we all know somebody who, th- that's their personality, but it's not mine. And the reality of it is, is that the Bible says the great commission, Jesus says, is to go into all the world and preach and teach the gospel. That's not just preachers and pastors, that's all of us. If we're a follower of Jesus Christ, we have a responsibility to declare what Christ has done in us and to make disciples of other people. So, how are you doing on that one? And you go, well, well, Pastor, well, I give my to and that's true. That's that's good. But but what are you doing about in your own world? And so the Bible says that that you know in Matthew's Gospel, chapter five, uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gives, he talks about how the, and as Christ followers, that you're the salt of the earth that you are a city set on a hill, so you're a beacon. Uh, You are the light of the world. So you're there to shine the light and the love of Jesus Christ. Again, that's evangelism. That's sharing your faith. that's, that's, That's sharing the good news of who Jesus is. Paul says in the New Testament that we are to be ready as Christ followers to give an account, to give an explanation of the gospel message that lives inside of us. So if someone walks up to you and asks you, or someone inquires and asks of you, tell me about your relationship with Christ, tell me why you're so happy, tell me where the joy comes from, tell me. We are to be able to articulate verbally what's happening inside of us. And so these are our responsibilities as Christ followers. Now, I'm not guilting you. I'm just saying, like, this is not what I'm trying to get you to understand is this is not something that's relegated to somebody with an extrovert personality or maybe 3% of people in the church that feel like they've got a gift of evangelism. It's all of us. So if we're all expected to do this, yet we all have different levels of comfort and we all have different levels of personality and 97% of us don't feel like we've got the gift of evangelism, how then are we supposed to do that? I'm so glad you asked that question. There's one verse in Scripture on evangelism that I love. Now, there's a lot of Scriptures on evangelism, but it explains probably the easiest way to share your faith and, quite frankly, is probably the most powerful and the most effective way to do this. Look at it in John's Gospel, chapter 1, starting in verse 42. And when Andrew discovered Jesus' true identity, he went and found his brother Peter and he brought him to Jesus. Let's read that again. When Andrew discovered Jesus' true identity, he went and found his brother Peter and he brought him to Jesus. It's real simple. Andrew, which will become a disciple of Jesus Christ, encounters Jesus in his teaching and his is going public, and he realizes and discovers he has an experience with Jesus that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He's the one that the prophets had talked about. He was the one that would come and set the nation of Israel free. This is the one. So he immediately goes to his brother, Peter, who will become a disciple as well. Matter of fact, Peter will become more pronounced as a disciple and more prominent and the mo- one of the most influential disciples of the 12. He will actually supersede his brother Andrew. Although Andrew came to faith in Christ before Peter does, Peter will be the one that God will use. He'll be part of the, the inner circle of Peter, James, and John that goes to the Mount of Transfiguration. He'll be the one that will lead the New Testament church. Not because the Vatican says, but because that's what Jesus says. He'll be the one that on the day of Pentecost, as recorded in the book of Acts, chapter 1 and chapter 2, when they had this amazing, powerful implosion and explosion of the Holy Spirit, Peter will connect all the dots and pastor people in the moment there in the city of Jerusalem. And 3,000 people just in that one moment will, will, will become saved. Peter will be the one that will take the New Testament, that will take the gospel message of Jesus Christ from the Jews to the Gentiles. He'll be the one that God will speak to and he will absolutely go out on a limb, have to justify his actions before the council in Jerusalem and take the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the house of Cornelius, this this Italian centurion, this Roman centurion, and the gospel will begin to flow through Rome. Peter will absolutely be probably one of the most prominent members and figures outside of Paul in the New Testament and the most prominent of the 12. Andrew meets Jesus. Andrew goes to his brother. If you have a brother, you get this. You've got to come see this, bro. You've got to come. To you. I'm just telling you, just quit what you're doing and come with me. Just whatever you got to do, just stop it, whatever, lie. Tell him whatever you need to tell him, but let's go. You've got to go see this. If you have a brother, you know you, you've you had this experience before. You, you've got to see this. You've got to see this person. You and And no telling what the dialogue was between the two of them. And so, Peter then is brought to Jesus by Andrew. Now this is where we get the concept here. It's kind of a, one of the values that we have here at Life Church of, of this is what he does: Invest and invite. And this is really what sharing your faith is all about. Invest and invite. It's investing in someone relationally, in order to invite them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's investing in someone relation, relationally, in order to invite them to, to meet Jesus. It's that simple. So, investing, it means that there's an intentional investment relationally, spending time, spending energy, spending effort with people that are far away from God. No strings attached. If you attach strings to that relationship, that's manipulation. I'm not trying to love you so that you're going to follow Jesus. I want to love you, so it gives me an opportunity so you get to meet Jesus. What you do with Jesus is between you and Jesus. That's not my business. I'm not called to clean the fish. I'm called to catch the fish. And so the reality is, is but, but I want to love you and be real and live life in such a way that you see Jesus in me, and that, but there's this relationship, there's this time, there's this investment, there's this intentionality behind this, and I'm just simply going to do that. And let me say this. It's just loving people. Look, loving people does not condone someone's sin. It doesn't condone their actions. It doesn't condone their lifestyles. It doesn't doesn't condone or agree with their geopolitical values. It is simply, it doesn't say anything about the person. It says everything about you. That's the truth. I don't know where we get hung up on this, but go back to scripture, chapter and verse, baby. When we were dead in our sins, that's when Christ died for us. God loved you and I when we were yet sinners. That's when he died for us. The love of God was shown to us. The generosity of God was shown to us. The loving, powerful nature of God was explained and showed and demonstrated to us when we were way far apart from God. So for me to love someone that's apart from Jesus, I'm just being like God. And that that doesn't validate them. I don't have the ability to validate you. My my validation doesn't mean anything. That and four bucks will get you a cup of coffee in Starbucks. It it doesn't mean anything. It just. But what it says is it talks about me. It talks about me. So I'm to love people. I'm to love people. Whether you're of the same ethnicity as I am, I'm called to love you. Whether you're the same with a religion background, I'm called to love you. Whether you hate me or you like me, I'm called to love you. Whether you are my friend, read scripture, or you're my enemy, I'm called to love you. So it's investing. And then there's a point, an opportunity where you invite. Out of that relationship comes a natural opportunity for you to invite them into an environment and to an event and to an opportunity so that they can experience and encounter Jesus in a way that they can make a decision. It's that simple. You're not controlling the decision. You're not controlling the narrative of their life. You're not controlling their story. You're just simply investing in them. And then at a right opportunity, it's inviting them to a place where they get to hear the gospel message. That may mean that you invite them to a, a Bible study. It may mean that you invite them to um, maybe to just like a gathering, a barbecue that's happening at your house so that they just realize that Christians aren't goofy. Right? You know what I'm talking about? You've been in church for very long. There's a lot of goofiness in church. Not at life church. Amen. We get that, that out of here. But, 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 but there's a lot of fruits, flakes, and nuts. Do you ever notice that? Like, if I wasn't raised in church, I'd be like, I don't know that I want to be around those people. They're kind of weird. You know what I'm talking about? No? Yeah. I mean, think about it. If you never were raised in church, there's just a lot of stuff that goes on in church. It's just like, what just happened? What are they doing? Like, they raising their hands. They got a question? They got to go to the bathroom? I mean, what's going on? I mean, what's the deal? Like, what's the rock concert going on up here for? And, right, is there an open bar in the back? I mean, what's happening? And what's the deal? And I don't under... You've been raised in church all your life. You get it because you speak the language. You speak the culture because the language always creates culture. And so sometimes the best environment to invite somebody to is just invite them to something that's outside the church, but it's with church people that they realize we're not weird. We actually are pretty normal. You're weird. No, I mean, right? But, but I mean, we're pretty normal. And, and it's that. And so it may be like the golf outing that we're doing this afternoon, just getting around people. It may be that it's at a Bible study, it's a more intimate relationship and opportunity. It may be that it's a weekend service. It, it may be that it's an Easter service or Christmas Eve service. It could be that it's a series. But you're inviting them to a, 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 an environment, to a, a very a, a place in a way in which the gospel can be presented. And so, how do you do this? Three words. First of all, experience. Experience. It's all about an experience. We see here that when Andrew discovered Jesus, he had an experience with Jesus. He met Jesus. He realized, the Bible says, he discovered his true identity. He, had, he discovered Jesus' identity. He w- listened to him long enough, connected the dots, and processed it, reflected upon it, and discovered who Jesus was and said, this is him. He's accepted him. He had an experience. It's your personal story. It's your personal experience with Jesus. Do you remember when, as the old hymn of the church was, and the burdens of your soul were rolled away, it was there by faith I received my sight, and now I'm happy all the day? Do you remember when Jesus Christ came into your heart and came into your life and he changed you? Do you remember the day that you gave your life to Christ? Do you remember, we just sang the song, "My, my chains are gone. Do you remember when the day that the chains that held you captive and bound were released and gone? Do you remember the moment that Jesus Christ came into your heart and into your life? Do you remember where you were? Do you remember what you were doing? Do you remember that moment? Don't ever forget that. That's the most powerful changing moment in your life. The day that you, as Jesus would say to Nicodemus, that you were born again, not of the flesh, but of the spirit. And with that, how many times have you you told that story? Do you even know how to tell that story? It's what we would call a testimony. If you were called to be a witness... On a stand, they would ask you to, with an attorney or with a group of attorneys, they would begin to help you with your story. They'd formulate your words. They would put it in a way so that the jury or the judge will be able to understand what you're saying and communicate the message that you're wanting to communicate because words are powerful. Words create, uh, uh, language creates culture. And so these words are very powerful. So what do you want to say and how do you want to say it? If you're on an elevator with someone and they're asking you your faith in Jesus Christ, do you have a simple, concise way that you can explain what he did for you? See, it's simply just by sitting there and taking it and writing it out and, and formulating it in such a way. Well, well, why would I need to do that? Because you need to make sure it's crystallized in you. I know it's real, but that you can articulate it. Why is that important? Because, again, the Bible says that we who are in Christ Jesus are, are to have to be ready to give an account to articulate that experience to anybody that asks. So that when a neighbor or a friend or a coworker that you've been relationally connected with, how do you tell that story? And this is also a very powerful thing. Because sometimes we, let me say it like this. Sometimes we read the Bible and it's so much chapter and verse and it is that. And we're so down to the principles of God's word and it is that. And the promises of God's word, it is that. But more than all of that, the Bible is simply this. From Genesis to Revelation, it's the story of a father who desperately loves his children and is doing everything he can to reconnect with them. That's it whether you look at it from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, whether you see it through the life of David, whether you see it at Daniel in the lion's den or Jonah in the well, whether you look at it through the major or the the minor prophets of the Old Testament, whether you look at it from from the book of Revelation, from the gospel of Jesus Christ of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to the Pauline epistles, to the birth of the New Testament church, it's the story of a father who desperately loves his children and doing everything he can to overcome this sin that separates them. That's all it is. What's your story? What is your story? What is your experience? Have you ever told your kids or your grandkids? You know, as a kid growing up, I, I grew up in, a, in church. My dad was a board member, and mom sang in the choir. And, and, I mean, I just grew up in church my whole life. I mean, that's just how it was. And it didn't matter. You know like we didn't get to skip church because of sports and we didn't get to skip church because of practice I mean this was not even a deal and 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 my dad played football in high school and and all of that and ran track but it, it didn't matter I mean this we were having church and so it didn't matter and, and and occasionally the pastor would have some great spiritual idea to have a Friday night service that would coincide with the Friday night football game which was like awesome I really appreciate this and so anyhow so um, long story short as a kid, probably 8, nine, ten years of age, I came across a, a box of photos, black and white photos, and they were my dad, and it was my dad smoking, it was my dad drinking, it was my dad, he was in the military, Ramstein Air Force Base during the Vietnam conflict, and uh, in Germany, and, and it was my dad, and, uh, and so I began to inquire as a kid, who it, because that's not who my dad was. I never saw my dad smoke. I never saw my dad drink. I, 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 I mean, and, and, and we grew up, you don't know, smoke, drink, or chew, or date girls that do. That's kind of the rule in the house. And so, you know, and so the deal is, um, I'm filtering right now. But anyhow, so, so the reality is, is that, um, I was like dad. And so my dad began to tell me the story of how he came to faith in Christ. My dad was 17 years of age, junior in high school, all-conference, blindbacker. And uh, went to church, wasn't raised in church. So my mom's side of the family, church, multiple generations. Dad's side of the family, nobody went to church. Dad wasn't raised in church. And uh, my grandfather, my dad was born in East St. Louis, because my grandfather worked for Anheuser-Busch, worked for Budweiser, and moved back to Northeast Arkansas for work. And uh, my dad grew up in a non-Christian home good people, you know, but they were typical, they're they're going going to drink and drive four-wheel drives and and it's just a bunch of good rednecks and so that's what they were and farming community and all of that and so uh, uh, my dad gets saved, senior in high school, excuse me, junior in high school at this small Assembly of God church and afterwards the pastor goes to my dad and says, son, now that you've given your life to Christ, you need to quit the football team. My dad was like, what? That's crazy. And again, then the pastor tried to basically back then, if anything was fun, it was, it was, it was immoral, it was sinful, you, you didn't do anything. You didn't go bowling, you didn't go skating, you didn't, you didn't do anything. Like, it was just movies, it's all a sin. You're all, everybody's going to hell unless you go to church. That's why they went to church all the time, because that's all they could do. So anyhow, so uh, I guess that's the deal, right? So, so the deal is very legalistic. And so my dad's like, forget this. He does what any 17-year-old does. Deuces, man, peace out. I'm gone. I'm not doing messing with this. My dad walks away from the church, graduates high school, goes into the military. So then my dad's in the military. So there, Ie these pictures, and all of these, all of his Air Force buddies, and all of this kind of a deal. And then he's 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 uh, he stationed, comes back to the states. He's stationed in um, California, and then uh, left the uh, military, and and uh, was discharged an honorable discharge from, from the U.S. Air Force. And then uh, he was bartending in Sacramento. I mean, this is a completely different person than I knew. I mean. Never has there ever been alcohol in the house I grew up in, ever. Now, my grandparents on my dad's side and my uncles, oh, dear Lord. I mean, I think they kept PBR in stock because, I mean, there was Old Meal Yucky and Pap's Blue Ribbon and, and all of this stuff. I mean, we used to smash beer cans as a pastime. And, and I, I told my brother the other day, I said, these people must have drank like fish. Do you remember how, I mean, it just unreal all the time. And cigarette after cigarette after cigarette after cigarette. And, you and, know, and I mean, I remember, you know, going to my grandparents' house and sleeping there on the little fold-out couch there in the living room. And my grandfather, after Johnny Carson got all the lights had come off, and he'd be in the, in the corner, and you know he was there because you see the ember of that end of that cigarette, you know. I mean, it's just, I, I just, and, but I'd never seen that in my dad. I mean, I'd never, you know. I remember uh, I wanted to, my, I was about eight or nine. My brother was six or seven. We was two years younger than me. And- and uh, I wanted to, we both wanted to get, a, get tobacco, you know. My granny would chew plug tobacco, and everybody else cho- chewed a winter nut, beech nut, winter green. Oh, dear God. And so I remember getting some of that and, and thinking, that is the most vile taste I have ever hit my palate. Like, and then my brother swallows his, and you know what happens after that. So <laughs> that was all of my tobacco chewing for that one point in time. I just, you know, it was big league chew after that for me. I mean, it, I just... <laughs> But I saw this man, and that wasn't my dad, but it's my dad. And he tells me then the story of how he comes back, and he meets my mom. And in order to marry my mom, he had to have a relationship with Christ. And he gives his life to Christ at that same church, different pastor, same church. And how from that point forward, he he, he followed Christ. And I just think, where would my life be without that conversion? without that experience. Part of what I do today and how I do church is based on that country preacher who told my dad he had to quit football. That drives me. Because I look at the narrow-minded, legalistic, non-biblical platform that that man used and think, think, think to myself, I could be living an entirely different life had it not been for the grace of God that gave my dad another opportunity Because of that narrow-minded preacher, I don't even know who he is. But today, thousands of people in southeastern Wisconsin have the effect of that small country preacher. Because I refuse to do that that way. I refuse to be legalistic. I refuse to look at students and try to put rules on them that the Bible doesn't put on them. Second word that we see there is relationship. Relationship. Andrew doesn't go to people he doesn't know. He goes to his brother. Can you go to people that you don't know? Yeah. But when you go to people you don't know, the problem with that is is there's no relationship. And so people have a tendency, especially in this day and age, people have a tendency not to really trust you because they don't know you. But he goes to his brother. He goes to someone who he has a relationship with. This, again, is about loving people intentionally without strings attached, regardless if you agree with them or you disagree with them. There's an intentionality here uh, and that, that, that that you really focus in on developing relationships with people. Not just people that are inside the church, but people outside the church. And the newer that you are in your faith, the easier it is for you to have relationships with people outside the church. Because, quite frankly, most of your friends are not saved. So it's very easy for you to have this Andrew-Peter moment where Andrew's going to Peter and he's telling Peter, you've got to meet this Jesus. Because it's fresh and it's new. The longer that you are a Christ follower and the longer that you're doing that, the more you'll find that out of the people that are going to come to faith in Christ have done it, So you just pray for those people because, quite frankly, your badgering them isn't going to help them per se, but your prayer is going to change them. Or you have to really fight for those relationships. This is where it's much easier for you to do this than it is for me to do this. Because, as you would say, you live in the real world, and I live in this little Christian bubble. And so every once in a while we'll get a staff member saved. Occasionally we're still praying for Nando. Maybe he'll come to faith in Christ, but that's about it. But for the most part, our staff is saved. and, And it's a joke, people. And so... It, it's th- so I have to really I have to really be intentional about this. And then the fact that I'm a minister really wigs people out because they just don't know what to do with you. They don't because cause either they've been raised in a Catholic tradition where the priest isn't married, and so how am I getting away with being married and, and that kind of a deal? And are you normal that like, you eat the same thing? It's kind of like seeing when you're seeing your grade school teacher outside of the classroom, maybe at a supermarket or at Walmart, and going, oh, <gasps> You just don't know what to do. It's a completely different context. Uh, And, uh, you know, and so it's just one. And then everybody has preformed ideas. And if they have had a good relationship with the church and that kind of a deal, it's great. And if they don't, then they just don't know what to do with you sometimes. And so quite frankly, I have to work twice as hard to develop relationships with people that are far away from the Lord, people that, that, that just need that relationship. I have to work hard because... My life is very, if, it's not, if I'm not carry, careful, it's very insulated and becomes very isolated. It's, a, it's an occupational hazard. And so, so, th- so the reality is, is that the longer that you've been saved, the harder it is that you have to work at this. But the reality is, like in my life, if I don't smell like sheep, what good am I? Because I'm a sheep before I'm a shepherd. Before I'm called to shepherd the flock, I'm called to be a sheep. And sheep beget sheep. We're called one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. And I think it's hypocritical, and quite frankly, if you really want to know my theology, I think there's going to be a lot of ministers that are going to stand and give an account before God one day for how they browbeat people in a church to bring people to church and to bring people to faith in Jesus Christ, and they themselves didn't. If you really want to know what I think, I think that every minister that doesn't have someone that comes to faith in Jesus Christ in a year in this country should lose their credentials. I've said that publicly and privately because I just think it's an atrocity upon me as a minister of Jesus Christ that I do not share my faith with Jesus Christ. So, because of that, I am constantly trying and fighting to develop relationships. And I've got relationships with business people in this community, some of which have come to faith in Christ, some of which attend Life Church. There are people that are prominent members of Life Church. <laughs> and I knew them when they were far away from God. And what I'm telling you, this, I, this, this John 142 is exactly what I've done. I didn't, because cramming it down somebody's throat doesn't change them. It doesn't help them. But them seeing the love of Christ in your life is what helps them. There are some of these individuals that, that I still am working and talking with. Why? Because it just takes time. Who knows what they've had to overcome, what they're they're having to deal with, but over time. A week last Saturday night, there was a denominational leader that that texted me and said, hey, I'm going to be right through your area. I've got to go to Wausau to have a meeting with a business person, and uh, I'm actually going to find in Milwaukee because I want to just come by and see the church, and I'd love to just go to dinner with you afterwards. Great, no problem. So uh, I had Ryan come with me, and and we just set up just a... Kind of reservation a local restaurant and there's a there's a an individual there a waiter there uh, that that I have I go there regularly and every time I'm there I want to sit in his section and uh, and so this guy is he's not a Christ follower he's really funny not a Christ follower uh, he's pretty pretty expressive if you know what I mean and he he's figured out that I'm a pastor. I, I didn't lead with that right? But he's he's under and he knows me and that and that kind of a deal and so we've developed this relationship of just uh, the frequency of being there and so I tell this individual look the guy that's going to wait on us is awesome but he's far away from God but it's one of those relationships that that, that I want and so he may be a little colorful and so you just need to know that and da 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 da, da. And so I mean the guy comes by the table what's up man how are you doing? We're, we're talking he's kind of filling me in on some things and I mean through or four f-bombs into the whole deal and, and this denominational leader sitting there and I'm just thinking what's he thinking? of course Ryan knows and so we you know this whole drill because Ryan talks like that but anyhow I'm teasing <laughs> so I'm joking so anyhow so uh, so the guy he, he leaves and he's gonna come back and take our order and the leader looks at me and goes this is awesome the fact that you as a pastor have relationship with people that are far away from God, that have the the openness of relationship that they can just be themselves, and yet they know who you are. He's not testing you. He's reaching out. I said, oh yeah, it's all part of the journey. It's all part of the journey. Because what good am I if I'm in my ivory tower? Who cares about my theology? Who cares? What difference does Jesus make if if no one knows he's there? What difference does the gospel make if people don't know it's there? What difference does salvation make if nobody knows it's available? And the problem isn't Jesus. Read the scriptures. The problem is never Jesus. It's always a religious establishment. we got to get over the church and over the legalism and over the religious and over da-da-da-da-da-da and all this kind of stuff and all of our rules and all of our... It's just Jesus, man. At the end of the day, it's just him. And so, But they won't know him unless you have a relationship with him because they're looking to see, do you really care about them or not? And whether this guy ever comes to faith in Jesus Christ, I'm not the cleaner of the fish. I'm just the catcher. It's not my job. It's just my job to simply invite them. And that's the last word is invitation. Invitation. Andrew brings Peter to Jesus. He basically communicates to him, hey, you've got to check this out. You've got to see this. You've got to meet this person. I don't mean to demean this, but it's like a great restaurant. You have to go to this restaurant. You've got to check this restaurant out. Probably one of the biggest foodies in the church is John Studer. And if John Studer ever tells me, Aaron, you have to go check out this restaurant, I go. Matter of fact, I usually call him and say, hey, can we go? Because it's, it's, it, John, John just knows, I mean, he's one of the only skinny people that I say that I trust when it comes to food. He just gets it. <laughs> and, and I just know it's going to be good. It doesn't matter what it is or where it is. It's just going to be good. He just And he finds some of the most obscure places. And have you eaten it? I've never even heard of it. Let's go. It just doesn't matter. Because I just know. And, and, and it's, it's like that. It's when Andrew comes to Peter, you've got to come see him. You've got to come meet him. You've got to come just simply be around Jesus. And when you invite someone, you don't point them in that direction. Hey, he's going to be there at 1045 on Sunday morning. Hey, why don't you come to church over here? Da, 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 da. No, 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 no. I'm going to bring you. Tell you what, why don't you meet me there or I'll swing by and pick you up but let's go to coffee afterwards or let's go have breakfast afterwards or let's go, I'm gonna take you to lunch. I'm, I want you to be a part of this. I, I don't want you just to drop in there. I don't want you to be in, in church by yourself. Hey, for those of you that weren't raised in church, you remember the first time you went to church by yourself? It's scary. I don't know these people and what are they doing? And they're shaking hands and they're, hi. I don't know, well, whatever. And it's dark in this room and those doors are shut. Have they locked them? Are they gonna let me out of here? there's no stained glass what's going on it's this is very different pastors not wearing socks I don't know how to deal with this that's definitely on a pulpit just inviting people like next weekend you've got a, a card that was on your seat as you came in for Father's Day a great opportunity just to invite someone to come with you to church so we're going to be giving away some Cabela's gift cards. Some of you men, I've seen your feet because you've decided to not wear socks with your sandals. I know that's a pretty expressive way to do in Wisconsin. And you've got a little dumb and dumber action going on down there. And so I'm sending some of you to get pedicures. God help you. Wow. But beyond that, what we're going to do next weekend is I'm going to do probably about a 10 minute. Or no, I mean it'll be 15, 20 minutes. But I'm going to do this little, little deal about, you know, biblical... What, what God says about a father and that relationship and this and that. And then I'm gonna have four guys. They're different guys every service that I'm in a life group with. I'm in a couple of life groups, but this one particular life group I've been in when, for about the past year and they're just, they're guys just like you. And they're not pastors. And I'm just gonna have a conversation because we've been meeting every Thursday and we, so we've got this relationship going and we kind of punch and jab at each other and make fun of each other and, and, and the pastor tag is off and it's just, it's just we're just us and I'm going to have them on the platform and, and I'm just going to have them for a few minutes talk about what does it mean to be a man of God to you what does it mean to try to live that out in this world what about being a dad what's the biggest struggle what's the biggest fear how, how, how do you rectify all this How do you live this out in the marketplace and in your work? I'm telling you, any man that you know in your world in your life will resonate more with that than he ever will with some preacher behind a pulpit. Why? Because he sees himself in those other men. And he can't shoot at those other guys because guess what? They're doing the same thing he's doing. Do you know that most people that are going to come to church are going to come to church because they're invited? And I know you kind of go, duh. But the reality is, is that they're just waiting for someone to invite them. Do you know how many men drop off their wives or their kids or their grandkids at church here at Life Church and come back to pick them up later? And it's not that they really don't want to come to church, and it's not that they don't have time to come to church. It's not that they have any of that. It's the reality is is that they either don't want to be browbeaten, they don't want to be like just just kind of like uh, just told how horrible they are if they come to church. And the other part of it is is that they know how bad they are, and the reality is is that they they can they condemn themselves so greatly that for them it's it's not even about um, man, it's not even about. What the preacher would say, it's about their own self-condemnation because the same devil that's tricked them into doing the sin and the cycle of of bondage is the same devil that now makes fun of them. And so they get as close as they can because they want others to hear the truth, but they themselves can't accept it for themselves because they cannot forgive themselves and and they condemn themselves over and over and over and over again. And sometimes that cycle is broken just by somebody saying, hey, why don't you come with me? Why don't you meet me? Let's go to lunch afterwards. See, so you pick. Because when you're gonna invite someone, it's all about appropriate amount of light. You don't want to blind them. So there may be some services that you just go, you know what, like, like maybe it's a worship night. <laughs> this is gonna be too much to explain. Every single weekend service at Life Church is designed with a guest in mind. It's all what we call guest-oriented. Every weekend service is designed so that there's nothing or very little that you have to explain. From that service. Even did you notice when Ryan was doing communion and before we went into the last song, he, he, he kind of encouraged us to lift our hands. And in doing so, he explained what lifting your hands meant. It's just an outward sign of an inward action that God's changed you, and so you're just giving him praise. Why? Because if, you don't, if you've never been for a tradition that does that, or you don't go to church, you don't know that. Again, I was raised in church where it was like, "Lord to God, we're glad, glad to have all the saints of the Lord in the house of the Lord today. I want you to open up your holy Bible. And as we look at the scriptures, we're going to look at the canon going, and you're going, what is he talking about? Saints, are there dead people in the room? And the holy canon, I mean, they're going to fire something and something happening in a few minutes, and what, what? It's like a complete different language. And everybody else gets it because that's how they've been raised. Instead of just saying, no, 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 no come and see. Just come and experience. So my question to you is who are you investing in? Who are you investing in? Give me the name. Could you write five names of five individuals that are far away from God that you're intentionally in a relationship with just to share the love of Jesus? And you're praying and believing for an opportunity to 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 Share your testimony. To share your experience. The longer you've been saved, the harder it is to come up with those five names. I have mine. And occasionally, you'll see me out in a restaurant, or they'll be in a life church event. You, I've never seen that person before. It's probably because, that's someone that I'm investing in. I get calls and conversations from time to time from various people that are in the community. Could I have a cup of coffee with you? Could we talk? Just loving people. Loving people. Who are those people? Who are those people you're investing in? Are you praying for those people? Are you believing that Jesus Christ will change them? Because that's the only thing that's going to change them. It's not the judgment of God that changes them. It's the kindness of God that changes them. Sharing your faith is as simply as investing intentionally, relationally in people and an opportunity that you feel is appropriate inviting them to come and see. What's amazing to me about the story of Peter and Andrew is that that statement recorded in verse 42, he brought Peter to Jesus, would literally change Peter's life for forever. Peter would go on to lead the New Testament church. And even when he denied Christ at the crucifixion, Jesus at the resurrection would come and would find him. Doing what? Going right back to fishing. John 1, verse 42, where does Andrew find Peter? Fishing. He's a commercial fisherman. When Jesus, after, after Peter's failed publicly, it's a great story. And he goes to do what? Back to fishing because he doesn't feel worthy to do ministry. But the call of God's without repentance, which means it never lifts. And Peter said, I didn't. Jesus says, What are you doing? I didn't call you to this. And Peter, Jesus looks at him and says, Do you love me? Do you three times he asks him, Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you then feed my sheep? Leave these fish alone. Feed my sheep. And Peter says yes. And we find him in the upper room. And the rest is history as they would say. But Andrew will die as a martyr. As one of the twelve. For his faith in Jesus Christ. If I have my history right. I'm just running off the top of my head. Andrew will be the one that will take the gospel to India. Very little is known of him. Peter will be the one that will stay in Jerusalem and will establish a church that will happen there and affect Rome. But Peter will die a public crucifixion for his faith in Jesus Christ. But he'll be crucified upside down because he didn't feel it worthy to be crucified right side up because that's how Jesus was crucified. You never know when the conversation of investing And inviting will change someone's life forever and possibly even change history.